0: We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Nice to see you. hope you are feeling refreshed already. I'm afraid it's not going to rain I don't think today but there are thunderstorms on their way this week apparently Um, so we're looking forward to that but hasn't it been refreshing to worship God and to join together and to have fellowship already my hope is that as we look at God's word this morning that that will refresh you too Um, I'm going to be looking uh, with you at Acts 17 this morning. This is Paul's uh, visit, the Apostle Paul's visit to Athens, and um, a little bit weaving my own story into that, how something about my own journey to faith as a young man, around sort of 16 to 20 years old, I was very thirsty spiritually. Um, when, when Dub came to speak to us back in May, um, about loving people towards Jesus. That reminded me of how people had loved me towards Jesus. So um, yeah, if, you, if, if you were here with us in May, if you managed to read your copy of that book, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then come and talk to me afterwards and I'm sure we can get you a copy of that. That was great. Why not take it on your summer holiday if you're going away? Now, apparently, I had a look at the weather forecast, and apparently it's going to get up to 31 degrees in Athens today. So, almost as hot as Guildford. Um, so, hope you stay, stay, stay cool with us today. Um, as we look at Acts 17 today, I'll be highlighting five ways in which Paul made the most of his time with the Athenians, and what we can learn from his approach. Um, so, you might want to turn to that um, passage I don't know, Gavin and D, whether there's any Bibles at the back. If, if anyone would like a Bible, please put your hand up and Gavin and D can bring one uh, to you. And if you haven't got a Bible, then just keep hold of it. It's yours to keep. Um, we'd love you to have that and to follow along in the passage today. Paul um, capitalised on his time in Athens, hence... There we go. Hence the bad pun in my in my title today, capitalising in Athens. Um, Paul wrote later to the Colossians, yeah, to make the most of every opportunity, and I think that's what he he shows us in his time in Athens. Now. Um, Guildford is probably similar to ancient Athens in many ways. We have a, high, a wide range of worldviews, views, um, probably a bit of a pick-and-mix approach to religion and philosophy. Many people claiming to have their lives sorted, but a deep, deep need for people to know the God of the Bible. Just before we look at the background of the passage, let's, let's pray as we look at God's word. Father, thank you that... Uh, you are. You have revealed yourself in the Bible, and we are all in need of you. Help us today as we look at your word and how um, Paul spoke about you in Athens. Help us to be um, encouraged and challenged in how we speak to others about the Lord Jesus. In his name, amen. So... Just a little bit of background here. We're going to be um, look, we're going to be sort of reading some verses, and then I'm going to be reflecting on those verses as we go through. And we're going to be looking from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Um, now, Paul has been in a place called Berea. Uh, which is where he's been sharing his faith and talking to people. And things got a little bit hot there uh, in terms of he needed to get away because it was all becoming a bit too much. Um, the preaching in Berea had been fruitful. You can see that in verses 11 and 12. But he'd been driven out because what he was saying was was too radical. It wasn't really what they wanted to hear. So Paul actually sort of took refuge in Athens. He didn't seem to have any great plan to be there um, and as we start in verse 16, Paul is waiting in Athens for his uh, fellow workers, Silas and Timothy, to join him from Berea. Let's read, the, read, read these verses. While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. With both Jews and God fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. So he doesn't just go to Greece on holiday and put his feet up, enjoy the sunshine, and sit it out. He doesn't just waste the time there. He makes the most of it. He carefully, we can see in verse 16, observes the Athenian ways. Um, He's looking around, he's seeing all these idols. Um, and he gets on with sharing Jesus with others even before his backup arrives he's basically there on his own but he makes the most of it so there we go I've got five points today and I'm going to get on with um, them quickly oh I've just got to run through this there we go my first point from verse 16 is be distressed by godliness and ungodliness and idolatry That's what Paul's response was when he looked around in Athens and he saw all this worship that was not of the God of the Bible. He comes to this great capital city, famed throughout the ancient world. He's not wowed by this ancient and influential city. He sees the place with God's perspective, he was greatly distressed by the people of Athens failing to honor the true God of the Bible. And we're reminded perhaps of the second, the first commandment in back in Exodus 20: you shall have no other gods before me. Now, in contrast to Paul's um, distress or ungodliness. I grew up up in a non-Christian family and I wasn't distressed about my ungodliness. I had no sense that my godlessness was a problem. But I did need, looking back on it, I did need Christians to be bothered by my ungodliness, by my spiritual state, by my lostness. But I was interested in religion. From my point of view, my journey to faith came through reasoning. Reasoning. And that's a bit like um, here in verse 17. Uh, Paul reasoned in the synagogue and the marketplace. Um, I say these days that my faith is based much more than just on sort of logical argument. I can testify to how God has sustained me and changed me over the years. And you might think you might be more like someone who sort of grew up in church and you might be more like this first category here that Paul addresses in verse 17, more like the people that find themselves in the synagogue and the church. But I was very much, no, I didn't have any of that in my childhood. I would be very much in the marketplace, um, interested, but but kind of on the outside of organized religion. I was interested in faith, but not God-fearing. And perhaps like Athens, our culture today advocates a a sort of marketplace of ideas. A bit of this, a bit of that, pick what you want. As a young man, I left school age 18, determined to look around at different ideas around the meaning of life. Um, Different gods, philosophies. Um, But God doesn't play that sort of game um, of just a sort of pick and mix approach. A bit like Rachel mentioned last week, God wants us to be wholehearted. He wants the whole of our hearts. But as we sort of find later in the passage, he is near if we seek him. So after leaving school, I spent a couple of years investigating different religions and ideas in my spare time, including Christianity. And I remember visiting the British Museum aged about 19, and I was really interested to see the ancient manuscripts that made up the Bible. And I I got this book, which is a really good book, actually. It's called Through the British Museum with the Bible. Um, And you kind of go around and you look at different things from... um, Egyptian Empire and Greek Empire and Romans and stuff, and you sort of see all these things, which all tie into the Bible, and really kind of that gave me a lot of confidence that the Bible was founded on on truth and and, and it had a place in history. Um, and actually, a couple of months ago, I went back and I did the same tour um, a many years later, and it was interesting. About 30 years on to kind of see these things and to sort of see how God has, has sort of rounded my faith in that time. I took this photo of two Greek philosophers um, who are mentioned in our, in our passage in the, next few, in the next verse, actually. And the guy on the left, uh, Chrysophos, is a Stoic philosopher. And on the right is Epicurus, who is another Greek philosopher devoted to sensual pleasure. And I would say as a 19-year-old... I probably had elements of their kind of thinking. Um, The stoical approach, it's kind of, you know, I've got to toughen up and weather the storms of life. Probably had a bit of that. But also the Epicurean approach. I've got to enjoy myself as much as I can in this life because it's all there is. And uh, in the next verse, followers of these kind of guys began to debate with Paul. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So the followers of these philosophers... Um, clearly thought quite a lot of themselves didn't they and they looked down on Paul as a babbler bringing foreign gods to to Athens surely you know don't you know that we're the we're this great capital of the ancient world but I think let's not be intimidated by even well articulated but ungodly philosophies Let's not be intimidated when other people look down on our faith in a sort of condescending way. Do you remember Paul's first response to Athens? He allowed himself to be distressed by their ungodliness. If we are distressed by the ungodliness of the world around us, then we're far less likely to be impressed by how confident or articulate they are we're distressed by their ungodliness we're less likely to be impressed by how confident or articulate they are so the next verse is yeah this verse seems to be saying um, Paul's advocating foreign gods and this reminds me a little bit of my own story how at school I'd, I'd misunderstood Christianity uh, I thought this God of the Bible is a bit, it's a bit weird isn't it I mean my experience of school assemblies was singing boring hymns, chanting the Lord's Prayer, having short talks on morality. But I left school having decided that I wasn't really interested in Christianity. But I was interested in what other religions and philosophies had to say. I looked into Baha'i, Islam, transcendental meditation, believe it or not. But But God had other plans for me. So my second point is, for us... Let's not be put off by those who are confident and settled in their worldviews, intellectual people. Um, Be ready to be misunderstood and rejected as we share our faith with others. But let us not be put off by that, by being sneered at. Of course, Paul is a great model, isn't he, in this passage of how to make the gospel as winsome and as clear as possible but our culture will misunderstand us our culture will largely think that the gospel is a bit weird because the message of the bible is very countercultural let's not take it personally when we are when the message of the lord jesus is is rejected people are rejecting jesus not us Paul didn't let the sneering and the rejection put him off. He wasn't seeking their approval. He was being obedient to God and seeking God's approval. He wasn't seeking the approval of the Athenians. I remember myself in the early years of becoming a Christian that um, some close family and friends thought I... I was just coming to a mainstream church like this, but some of my close family and friends thought I got into a cult and were like phoning me up and saying, you know what, you've got into getting a bit too enthusiastic and like um, in, you know, really into this thing, what's going on? Um, people will misunderstand us and we mustn't be put off by that. That's to be expected. Um, and let's remember that history shows us every seemingly great empire that is not built on the God of the Bible Will, in due course, come crashing down. Look at history: the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, even Manchester United. (laughs) They'll all come crashing down. Um, But my point is, you know, um, if if our lives are not built on God, then then it's not going to end well. So let's um, let's not be discouraged if our sharing our faith doesn't get much of a response we might yearn for a sort of pentecost where three thousand were added in one day but this is not jerusalem that is being talked about in this passage this is athens this is this is going to be a bit harder work isn't it guildford is probably a bit more much more like athens than jerusalem where where it's kind of steeped in the you know in the bible sharing our faith is worth it even if just one or two come to faith i had a year out before i went to university i worked for the railway research center in derby and i became good friends with a christian guy called stephen and i was really impressed by his the way that he was secure in his faith in god in his in god's love it made me think twice about those earlier impressions i'd had of christianity And then Stephen and I both went on to university together where I did continue to examine the claims of Christianity. I also continued to get drunk and generally be a bit of an idiot. But Stephen was always there, always willing to have lunch with me, always happy to accompany me to a Christian talk and so on. He was a good example of someone who capitalised on every opportunity to lead me to Jesus. Okay, let's have a look at the next few verses. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. That's like a ruling council of elders who had great power in Athens. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like you to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I initially investigated Christianity like, a bit like I was putting God on trial quite like the Athenians' sort of posture in these verses, perhaps. But toying with the idea of God, even listening to talks about him is not the same as placing our trust in Jesus and following him in our lives. Now, at the end of my first year at university, I discovered, uh, much to my surprise, that I'd had probably more Christians praying for me to come to faith than practically anyone else in my year. I'd been to so many Christian union events, but I'd still not become a Christian. I was perhaps like those people later in our passage in verse 32 who'd heard something of the gospel and said, Hmm, we want to hear you again on this subject. And that's a good aim, I think, for us as we talk to people about Jesus. Let's make it our aim in a conversation about faith to leave the other person thinking, Yeah. We want to hear you again on this subject. So when I eventually became a Christian, just six days after my 20th birthday, I wrote down six reasons why I believed in the God of the Bible and that is the ancient manuscript that is still in my pocket Bible and you can't even read the, the top one because it's, it's crumbled over the years but the first one I'll just run through them briefly these are the kind of at the time these are the things that kind of drew me to faith it's like the wonder of creation fulfilled prophecy Jesus Christ of course the fact that God is invisible well wonderful things like air and love are invisible our conscience speaks to us and ultimately, there's just no hope otherwise. Um, it might not be my top six now, but I think it's a helpful list. It's been a helpful reminder to me. Um, I've treasured that bookmark over the years. and um, When I've gone through rocky patches in my faith, it reminded me of why I put my trust in Jesus. Um, I was, at the time, offended as I examined the Bible, as I was sort of thinking about it, I was aff- initially offended by the exclusive claims of Jesus, but over time I saw that the God of the Bible is not, he's not a God who gives his pitch in the marketplace of ideas. He is the King of Kings, as we sung about. Let's have a look at the next verses as Paul starts to articulate why he believes what he believes. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So my third point is, be prepared to explain why you believe what you believe. Let's understand our place in God's bigger story, as Paul is explaining in these verses. It's interesting, isn't it, here, that Paul's had all these amazing experiences of God in his life. We know that from the rest of the Bible. But as he speaks to the Athenians here, he adapts his approach. And he doesn't, they don't really know him, you know, he's just kind of come to the city. He adapts his approach, he avoids personal testimony... But he sees that they are open to philosophical reasoning. So he engages with that. He explains that the God of the Bible is not a foreign God, but rather the God of the whole of human history, who doesn't rely on our approval or our service. God is not a philosophical idea to be thrown around. Let's be ready to explain our hope. Let's see how Paul does it. God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. There we go. There were many ways in which I can see in hindsight that God ordered my life at certain times so that I might seek God, reach out and find him. As we see in these verses. But I found that God is not far off. In the end it was not actually via clever arguments. However many evangelistic talks I went to. Um, that I was persuaded. But rather through one Christian. I mean there were many components that, that God used to draw me to faith. But actually what was a real breakthrough for me. Was one Christian sitting down with me to study the gospel of John and that's where i really encountered jesus it was this encounter that shifted me from a mindset of thinking i needed to find the sort of most satisfactory philosophy in life to recognizing that actually i needed to submit to the god of creation who has come down and calls us to repent and to follow him i could sense god calling me to seek him and to find him I did struggle with the sort of the apparent hiddenness of God. I found this verse helpful, verse 27. I saw actually later that God's apparent hiddenness, he uses that to nurture faith and to call us to reach out for him, to seek him. As we see here, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Those of us who are Christians, we have experienced he's not very far from each one of us. And that, that's my testimony as I look back on years of God bringing hope and healing into my life. So we've seen back in verse 22 that Paul recognized that the, the Athenians were looking for answers. I see that in every way you are very religious. He noted that they had an altar to an unknown God. And here, in verse 28, um, he's clearly done his homework. And he's, he's actually quoting a couple of poets from, um, from Greece. He kind of quotes their poets back to him. He's, he's done his homework and he's kind of engaging with them. So... Um, my fourth point is let's find ways to connect with other people's worldviews, practices, and culture, just like Paul does. It's not that we change our message, but that we listen, we observe, and we adapt the way in which we talk to people so that they kind of get it and it resonates with them. Um, so, in 21st century Guildford, this kind of thing is unlikely to be by studying. Greek philosophy, thankfully, um, is more likely to be by being aware of what's important to people around us. You might be, you know, you might kind of watch a film, a thought provoking film with people and think of some of the questions about life that brings up. Maybe we can be observant about our neighbours' priorities. What makes other people tick? Is it their career? Is it accumulating wealth? Is it Having a family, what's what's what is it that really is important to people? Malcolm showed us a video earlier of um, getting training. It may be that we need to be more equipped to be confident in the Bible and, um, and equipped to share this wonderful, refreshing word with other people. As I said, I received Jesus as my savior and lord of my life at the age of 20. And I needed to repent of my ideas of God and receive Him as He is. Let's have a look at these verses. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, for He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I remember an evangelistic talk shortly before I made my commitment to faith, age 20, where I was challenged not just to always keep my options open, but to decide in faith to follow God. As I was searching for faith around this time, I remember a number of fellow students also became Christians, but many of them sneered at what I I was choosing to do, to follow Jesus. And we see this in the next verse. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So for me, I was torn between following Jesus on one hand and the appeal of God on the other. For me, the appeal of the world was particularly around the freedom to get drunk, to do what I wanted with my time and my money, being self-sufficient, not needing anyone else. And following Jesus meant turning my back on those things. The gospel divides. When we truly follow Jesus, we may need to depart ways with people who are pulling us back to the world. as Our lives go in drastically different directions to theirs. When I became a Christian, believe it or not, I needed to leave the university tiddlywinks club. <laughs> It was not good. I'm not joking. It was, it was not, a good, not a good place. Basically, as was a drinking club uh, under the guise of being a tiddlywinks club. So, um, some others... Um, yeah. Some, of the, some, some people that I knew that became Christians at the time, they've, they've sadly fallen away from their faith, but I'm greatly encouraged by Christians who keep going. And, and we see from these final verses... You know, there's just a few people became followers. And we kind of raises the question, you know, was Paul's visit to Athens was it a success? Well yes, I think I think it was. Um, he he engaged in the best way that he could. Some sneered, but some followed. He was obedient to God's call to make the most of his time. My final point um, this is if, you've got one, if you take one thing away from today, just remember this: um, make the most of our time with people around us paul 's time in Athens was limited actually, if you look at the next verse, the first verse in chapter eighteen, um, he moves on. he made the most of his time there to engage. With the people. Let's develop an urgency for the salvation of our friends and family. We need to repent because Jesus is coming back to judge the world. I've just come back from a holiday in Blenhevan in South Wales, and last Sunday we went to a church called Victory Church, and the pastor got quite animated in his talk about the need to warn people of the coming judgment after the service a few people from the congregation came up to us and sort of almost apologised saying oh he doesn't normally go on he's not quite normally that tough uh, in his talks but if there's nothing to be uh, nothing to apologise about it's, it's right to be reminded that Jesus is coming back to judge the world, it's not a kindness to gloss over the consequences of unbelief so um, we're going we're to close uh, I'm just going to review the five points and so the band might want to um, come back up now as I just go through the final as I go through these five points um, I've just changed the title to Capitalising in Guildford uh, it's the same five points um, but yes, if you take one lesson from today let us have an urgency to capitalise on every opportunity to love people towards Jesus our time with other people um, maybe it is limited and time passes let us make the most of the chances that we do have let us pray Father thank you that you are a loving God who calls us to follow you Thank you that you are close, that you are not far from every one of us. Thank you that you have made yourself known in your word. And Lord, help us to make the most of every opportunity as we try to love others towards Jesus, share what you've done in our lives. Help us to do all that we can to share the good news of the Lord Jesus with the people of Guildford with those in our families our colleagues all the people that we love and we have contact with help us to be faithful to you give us courage help us not to be put off by sneering or people rejecting you help us to be faithful as we seek to talk about all that you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.